Some months ago, uh, back in November, I was at a conference in Dallas, and a man I had never met walked up to me, shook my head, and thanked me, and said he knew about me, he knew about my wife, Shainu, he knew about our children. Uh, now, I'm not popular enough to have a stalker, so I had no idea who this man was, but he began to tell me the story, and here's what happened. Many years ago, when St. Mark's Church, which is the church that owned this entire property, six acres of land, gave that freely to us, we had a service where they transferred all of that to us, a closing service for St. Mark's and sort of an opening service for us. Well, on that service, on that day, Binu, Pastor Binu, who at the time wasn't a member of our church, was sort of just visiting himself, came with a friend named Tim. His friend was also working with him at Cairn University, and so they just happened to come to that service on that day. When they were here, Tim asked about the name of the church, and so Binu explained that it was Seven Mile Road, and he told them the story behind that name and why we named the church Seven Mile Road, where Tim liked that story, and so he happened to go back to New Hampshire where he was living, at the church where he was serving, and decided to name his youth group Seven Mile Road. And so there's a youth group in New Hampshire called Seven Mile Road. Well, it just so happened that one of the boys in that youth group grew up there and then got a job in Boston. And so every day was driving from New Hampshire to Boston. And so then one day, while driving to a Starbucks in Malden, Massachusetts, saw on the side of the road a sign that said Seven Mile Road, which was the church that planted us. And so then he considered that odd, went back home, Googled Seven Mile Road, and started listening to the podcasts of our sermons. And so then he happened to get a job in Boston, saw the church that his youth group was named, and decided to be a part of that church, and now is the worship leader at Seven Mile Road, Boston. <laughs> Neat, right? What are the odds? Look how that just worked out, right? I mean, just, just think of that. The odds that Binu, at that time just a visitor, happened to come to that service with his friend who happened to have a youth group, who happened to name that youth group Seven Mile Road, and there was one boy who happened to be in there, who happened to drive down the street from Malden and happened to connect with that church and happened to hear our sermons and happened to meet me in Dallas so that we could hear the whole story. What are the odds? Now, what do we say when we hear that? We go, look how that worked out. We say, what a coincidence. What a, a strange set of circumstances that worked out. And this morning, what I want you to hear is, there's another word I would add to your vocabulary. Because the scriptures would teach, there's a better word to describe what just happened there. And that would be the word providence. You see, the scriptures would say that what happened has nothing to do with anything just happening. It doesn't have anything to do with luck or good fortune or happenstance or circumstance, but providence. That should be a rap. Somebody should make that into a rap. <laughs> if you do, I get credit for it, just so you know. Not circumstance, not chance, but providence, right? That's what the scriptures would teach. And what our forefathers in the faith would have taught us those who believed in Jesus long before us would have taught us is that providence is how God, sovereignly superintending the entire universe, is carefully, intricately involved in ruling over all things for his glory and our good. There, there is no chance. There is no as luck would have it. There is no as fortune would have it. There is providence. God intricately involved in ruling over and caring for everything in his creation so that all things work together for his glory and our good. 
Hear me. If you're here and you don't even believe in God, even you wrestle with the reality that sometimes life just seems to work out in some ways. I mean, if we really are all just here because some random molecules bumped into each other, Sometimes even we have a hard time explaining how life seems to work out. Even if you don't believe in God, you say things like, everything happens for a reason. Why do you say that? The scriptures would say what you're trying to get at but don't have vocabulary for is providence. Everything does happen for a reason because the invisible hand of God is directing and ordaining all things for his glory and our good. Here's how some of the saints long before us would have described providence. In the Heidelberg Catechism, which is this summary of faith that St. Mark's Church used to use all the time for a century or so. Written in 1563, here's how our spiritual forefathers would have described providence. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, whereby he still upholds, as it were, by his own hand, heaven and earth together with all creatures and rules in such a way that leaves and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and unfruitful years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty and everything else comes to us not by chance but by his fatherly hand. 1563, and I don't know that we could improve on that much, right? It's the idea that, listen, there is the ever-present, powerful, almighty power of God who is involved in all things from the grass that grows to the rain that falls to the years of plenty and the years of lacking and everything else in between comes from the invisible hand of our good and caring Father. That's providence. Right? It's the idea that, and, and we heard it in, in the call to worship. We read together Psalm 104. And we read together saying, you're the one who makes the grass grow. And the beasts of the field find their food because you feed it. And every lightning bolt goes, not randomly to a spot, but where you send it. That there's one sense in which there's a natural explanation for everything. And yet behind that, there's a providence behind everything, right? That, that nothing in this world, it's not that God just sort of wound up this world and let it go and sort of kicked up his feet and is taking a nap or a vacation and is just watching how things will turn out. It's not that God put the world on cruise control, brought in some natural laws to let everything work out and now it's on cruise control and he's just waiting to see how things turn out. But rather, God's foot is on the pedal and if for even a millisecond, he should take his foot off, all things would come to an end. This world and all its events and all things in the universe are sustained every moment by the providential sovereign power of God. This is what the scriptures teach. So much so that there is not anything random or of chance. In fact, listen to this verse from Proverbs 16, verse 33. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Lot is is like dice. I mean, can you think of anything more random than throwing dice? And yet the scriptures would say, Even where the dice falls is by the decision of God. That's providence. Now, in saying this, we need to caution ourselves against one thing. And our spiritual fathers would have cautioned us from going so far as to think, well, if all things are sovereignly ordained by God, well, then you almost lean into the place of fate 
right? Where, where almost you feel like we're just robots and pawns in a masterful game. We have no lives that matter, no choices that are meaningful, nothing, no part to really play. And our spiritual fathers would have cautioned us and said, no, 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 that's not providence. Providence is teaching that, yes, you are completely freely doing the things that you do making choices that matter, with lives that are meaningful and consequences that are real, and yet behind it all is the providential hand of God, and somehow both happen at the same time. Are we really acting, or is God acting? And the answer is yes. Yes. Right? That, that when the grass grows and the rain falls, there is a perfectly natural explanation for that. There's a perfectly natural explanation for why the clouds will burst and give forth rain. And yet the scriptures say, as much as that is real, behind that is the providential hand of God. Both are true at the same time. Let me read you this quote by a theologian named Wayne Grudem. You've got to track along some to get it, but here's what he says. He says, in this way, it is possible to affirm that in one sense, events are fully, that's 100%, caused by God, and fully, 100%, caused by the creature as well. However, divine and creaturely causes work in different ways. The divine cause of each event, that's God's role, works as an invisible, behind-the-scenes, directing cause, and therefore will be called the primary cause that plans and initiates everything that happens. But the created thing brings about actions in ways consistent with the creature's own properties, ways that can often be described to us or by professional scientists who carefully observe the processes. These creaturely factors and properties can therefore be called secondary causes of everything that happens, even though they are the causes that are evident to us by observation. Now, some of that is nerd speak, but hopefully... What you get is the idea that, listen, when we act in the world, it really is our actions. And yet behind that is a primary cause, a God who is sovereignly, providentially ruling over his universe. Our choices matter. Our decisions count. And yet behind it all, God is at work. And that's what I want you to see in Ruth's story today. Right, last week, if you were here, Pastor Benu brought us into chapter 2, and you were introduced to Boaz and the, the word hesed and the love that Ruth shows her mother-in-law and Boaz shows Ruth. Today, I want to zoom in and just focus on really one verse. In fact, just one phrase of one verse. But I want to get you there first by starting at 1, verses 22. So Ruth 1, verses 22. What we saw is Naomi, the widow, Ruth, the barren widow, has now headed for Bethlehem, and 1 verse 22 says this, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now here's what happens. The narrator tells us that they didn't just come to Bethlehem. He highlights for us what? When they came, right? And when did they come? At the beginning of barley harvest. And what that's doing is it's sort of a subtle hint in the text that, you know what? Things are about to change. Why? Right before this is when Naomi let out her famous lament. Oh, the Lord brought me out full, but he's brought me back empty. 
right? My husband's dead. My kids are dead. I have no grandchildren, no future. I've come back empty. Don't call me Naomi anymore. That means pleasant. Call me Mara. My life is bitter. The Lord himself has testified against me. Almighty has struck me comes forth this lament. And now in that dark scene, in that pitch black, bleak gray scene, you hear, and they happen to come at the beginning of barley harvest. Well, barley harvest, harvest was a time of singing and joy. You would literally be singing in the fields as you cut and gathered grain. It was a time of abundance and surplus and gladness. And so it's almost as if the narrator is hinting to you, look at the coincidence of when they happen to come to Bethlehem. In fact, one commentator says it like this. He says, in some, one almost senses a delighted, slightly smiling narrator thinking, hmm, what a coincidence. They arrived just in time for barley harvest. Right? So here's what it would say. It's as luck would have it through sheer chance, good fortune, they just so happened to come to Bethlehem. Out of all the days of the year, and out of all the weeks, and out of all the months, and all the seasons of all the year, they just so happened to come at barley harvest. What a coincidence. And we would read this, and we'd almost hear the, the narrator sort of jabbing us in the ribs, going, do you see that? Do you see when they showed up? And we'd say, this isn't luck. This isn't good fortune. This isn't circumstance or happenstance. This isn't a good set of things that are aligning. We wouldn't say, what are the odds? This is, this is providence. But wait, there's a better example. 2 verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now pause there for a second. This is a story about two widows. They've left their home. They've come to a new place. And now what we're about to see is the story of how they're going to survive. How is Ruth going to get food? How are they going to make it? And just sort of slyly inserted is just this random comment, oh, by the way, Naomi happened to have a worthy relative who happened to be a, a worthy man, a Limelech's relative. Now, what is that? What is that little line just sort of thrown in there about? Isn't this a great story? It just sort of drops this line, oh, by the way, Naomi though she thought she had no one left who could maybe redeem Ruth, happened to have a worthy man who was Elimelech's husband. And Pastor Binu introduced us to Boaz last week. This word worthy was often a word used to talk about a war hero. Right? So this is not a chump. This is a, this is a four-star general home from the war. This is a worthy man. He's a capable man. He's a wealthy man. He's a powerful man. And in this way, what he does is he stands in contrast to all the other men you've seen in the story so far. Who were the men you saw so far? Elimelech. My God is king. He ran out of the king's land and he's dead. Then Malon and Kilion. Oh, except they're weak and frail. Remember that? Sick and polio. That was their names. And they died too. And now... The only other man you see in the story is a worthy man, a war hero, a wealthy man, a general, a capable man. In fact, his very name, Boaz, means in him is strength. And so you go, what are the odds? Wait a minute. In this story about Naomi and her <coughs> eligible single daughter, we're now introduced to <coughs> an eligible bachelor named Boaz. What are the chances? Now, if you're a guy, I promise, you read right past that. You didn't even notice that, right? But not so much the ladies in the room, particularly you matchmaker types, right? 
You know who you are. When you read this, you go, wait a minute. You've got a good girl, Ruth, and you've got a worthy man, Boaz. I could picture Shinu reading this and going, Ajay, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And my response is, probably not. Mind your own business, right? Because you're reading this and you're going, could this be? Right? I mean, I mean, here you've got this gal and you've got this guy and, and would, would it be in the cards? Have the stars aligned just right? Could Ruth be that lucky? And we go, this has nothing to do with luck or good fortune or happenstance or circumstance or coincidence. The narrator's sort of jabbing us in the ribs and going, do you see what's happening? This is providence. But wait, it gets better. So watch this, 2 verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. That's the verse. And in fact, in there is the phrase. That's what this whole sermon is about. Right? Ruth wakes up, and she realizes she's in this foreign land. She's got to find a way to feed her family. And Pastor Benu reminded us wonderfully. She gets no thank yous, no thank you for joining me. She gets nothing, and yet she is still committed to feeding her mother-in-law, making sure they survive. And so she's going to go out into the fields, and you heard last week, Israel had sort of this welfare law to take care for widows that you couldn't glean to the edges. You couldn't maximize profit because you needed to find a way to support the widows and the poor. And so the edges of the property were going to be for widows to glean from and, and survive. The poor were supposed to eat there. So Ruth wakes up and goes, I'm going to see if there's going to be somebody who will show me some favor so that I can find some food for us to eat. And the text tells us, let me go to the field and glean in whose sight I find favor. So she set out and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Don't you love that? She happened to come. You can almost see the narrator putting air quotes, right? She happened to come to the field of Boaz. In fact, literally translated in the original language, this verse would read, and her chance chanced upon the field belonging to Boaz, right? And her chance just chanced upon the field belonging to Boaz, as luck would have it. And you can feel, again, that sort of jab to your side. As luck would have it, just by sheer good fortune, she happened to go to the field of Boaz. Think of this. Out of all the times to arrive in Bethlehem, she just so happens to arrive at barley harvest. And then out of all the fields in Israel, belonging to all the men of Israel, she just so happened to go to the one field of the one man who is the worthy man who could actually be her redeemer. It just so happened. And it just so happens that this man is a relative of Elimelech. It just so happens that he is a worthy man. And now if there was just some way for the two of them to meet, and if you keep reading, it just so happens that Boaz shows up to work that day to check on his fields, and the two meet, and the rest, as they say, is history. It just so happened. Isn't that amazing? What are the odds? What a coincidence. This is the way God often works. I'm reminded, I think I've shared this with some of you, 
we, we support church plants here at Seven Mile Road. And one of the churches that we support is Seven Mile Road Malden, which was a church plant just a few months ago. And the pastor of Seven Mile Road Malden is a man named Dan Coe. In fact, Dan Coe had visited here. We've prayed for him. We've tried to support them as best as, it, as we could. But do you know the story of how Dan Coe arrived at Seven Mile Road? When Shino and I were leaving Boston to come here to join a team of folks to plant here, we tried to get rid of all of our stuff as best as we could. We were trying to sell off everything. And so I just happened to put an ad for a dirty old couch on Craigslist, right? And out of all the couches in Boston, and out of all the people needing couches in Boston, Dan Coe found my ad, wrote to me, and then I responded to him. At the bottom of my email, there was some verse or something Christian. He asked if I was Christian. We met. He took my couch. He was coming to go to seminary at the time, interested in church planting, and I told him about Seven Mile Road, Boston. We never even crossed paths. I left the week he first visited Boston. And then he ended up attending that church and six years later planted a church through that church. And it just so happened. Out of all the couches in Boston and all the people needing couches, it just so happened that he found my couch and found our church so that six years later he's planting a church there. And the text is saying, it just so happened that she walked into the field of Boaz. And by now, Satmar Road, we feel that jab and we go, this is not luck. And this is not good fortune. And this is not coincidence or circumstance or happenstance. This is providence. This is the invisible hand of the almighty God orchestrating and directing and ordaining and allowing all things for his glory and our good that not a drop of rain falls where it does apart from the providential hand of God. And not a detail in your life happens outside of the providential hand of God. In fact, that's what the scriptures teach from beginning to end. God's providence is everywhere. Right? If you go back and read some of the stories, if you remember the story of a man named Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph has a bunch of brothers who hate him. And so they sell him into slavery. What happens? Out of all the places he could have been sold to, he happens to find his way into Egypt. And through a number of circumstances that were outside of his control, he ends up ascending to second to the king. A famine comes, and Joseph now is ascended to the highest place so that he not only saves Egypt in that time, he ends up being the one to provide food for his starving brothers. And when they finally meet him and they reconnect, Joseph says what? What you intended for evil, God meant all along for good. Right? Listen, Ruth's steps were really her steps. She's the one who walked into the field. And yet behind those steps is the providential hand of God. Those brothers really did sell him into slavery. And they were wrong for doing so. And yet... Behind it all, what they meant for evil, God intended for good. Or then you read a story in the Old Testament of a man named Moses. If you know that story, there's a, a paranoid Pharaoh on the throne. And he's sure that one of these Israelites, these little boys, is going to grow up to undo him. So in his paranoia, what does he do? He orders all the Hebrew boys to be slaughtered. 
And because of that edict, what happens? One mom takes her baby boy Moses, puts him in a basket, and basically sets him on the waters and says, God, now it's in your hand. And out of all the places in Egypt that the Nile could have flowed, it just so happened that that basket ends up where? At the doorstep of Pharaoh's palace. And out of all the people who could have found that basket, Pharaoh's daughter finds it. And so that Pharaoh's daughter takes this baby in so that, what happens? Pharaoh ends up providing room and board for the very baby that would undo him. And you think of that. If Pharaoh had never issued that edict, Moses would have grown up another Hebrew slave in the brickyard. And yet because of that very edict, it just so happened that a basket found its way to his own doorstep and God had him paying room, board, and tuition to raise up Israel's deliverer to undo him. Now that river went wherever it wanted to go and yet behind it is the providential, sovereign hand of God. Orchestrating, directing, ordaining, allowing, permitting all things for his glory and our good. And Seb Road, as it is in the stories of the scripture, so it is in your life as well. That behind every detail and every moment, God's hand is there. I want you to hear that. We started this story by saying, I mean, can you think of a more ordinary story than Ruth? And yet in the ordinary details of your life, I want you to hear God is there too. Is there anything more ordinary than waking up and going to work? That's what Ruth did that morning. She woke up and went to work. And yet in those steps, God was there. God is involved in every detail of your life. Now in saying that, I'm not saying that there won't be then hard times, trials, difficulties. We've read the book of Ruth. And we've known that the same providential hand that led her to Boaz's field is the one that brought the famine in the first place. Is the one that brought widowhood is the one that closed the womb. And so fathers of ours, spiritual fathers before us, have often said sometimes it will feel like a hard providence. Sometimes it will feel like a frowning providence. But in it, God is at work, even in the frowning providence. Right? It's like if you've ever seen those tapestry and those looms. right? They're spun together. And if you ever see the bottom side of it, one pastor said, it just looks like these crazy threads all over the place. In this random chaos, you wouldn't even want to look over it. And yet when you flip it over, is this beautiful tapestry. Crafted skillfully, every single piece in its place. So is the work of God. Or you've seen these YouTube videos of these guys who paint. They've got a spray can, and they've got this black canvas, and they just go crazy for one minute, and you have no idea what these lines are amounting to. And at the last second, they flip the canvas over, and it's the face of some famous celebrity. And so it is. These lines that God has allowed in your life seem like your life is out of control and chaotic, and yet God is working a masterpiece. You just need his eyes to be able to see it. God is at work in all things. I can tell you that personally just from these last few weeks. As many of you know, and I say this to pause to thank you. As you know, God had allowed hard providence, frowning providence, right? Uh, and I say that because last week Pastor Benu preached on 
Hesed love, that the invisible love of God is made visible through his people. And I pause to say, we have experienced Hesed love from you. And we are so thankful to God in ways we cannot repay you for that Hesed love. But I can tell you, we have seen God's providence. Frowning hard providence. Right? You're either going to live your life going, we are all here because some molecules bump together. And if that's the case, then I'd say my father-in-law was a 75-something-year-old man who got pancreatic cancer and died. Or you live your life going, there's something behind all of that. And we say, yeah, pancreatic cancer was the hard, frowning providence of God's hand. And yet even in that, there has been hundreds of examples of his providential care. Down to, for example, the week before my father-in-law died. He died two Sundays ago. On that Tuesday, I happened to go to New York. I happened to be in Manhattan that day. I was literally driving back to Philadelphia and at the last second pulled over to the side, got directions for Rockland, and decided to just visit my father-in-law. The next day, Shainu and the kids, who had not till that morning planned to go, decided to go visit as well. That Friday and Saturday, her other sister, my sister-in-law, dad's only other daughter, they happened to have an event in New York and needed to go to New York and so stayed at dad's place Friday and Saturday. And they were planning to leave on Saturday night and just so happened to decide to stay one more day and happened to stay into Sunday, the day that dad died. The day that morning, Sunday, the night before, Shainu and I went to dinner at our cousin's place. And dad was recently placed into hospice. And we were told that if you go into hospice, you can't call the ER or the paramedics if something crazy happens. Well, we just happened to have a conversation with a nurse that night that told us that's not the case. You can take him off hospice. If you need to go to the ER, you can go to the ER. Less than six hours later, we would get a call saying, Dad's unresponsive. What, would, what should we do? And we had just happened to have a conversation that let us know you can send him to the ER. And doing so bought him just enough time so that we could arrive from Philadelphia and so with his children and his grandchildren and his pastor and his church members and his lifelong friends surrounding the bed, singing psalms to him, praying prayers, reading scripture, and with enough strength to muster one more prayer where he himself asked God to take his spirit, dad fell asleep and with no struggle and no pain and no hurt, he went to be with Jesus. Now either you and I are all molecules bumping into each other, and everything that happens is just sheer chance, or the invisible providential hand of God directs and ordains and orchestrates all things for his glory and for our good. And sometimes that comes with bitter and hard providence. When it does, hear this. This is what hymn writers long before us said. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And Sabmarod, you and I know that really well because... 
from the most horrible providence came the greatest good you and I have ever experienced. What is that? From the most horrible providence, from the most frowning providence came the greatest good. Let me just read you two verses and then we'll be done. Acts 4. Peter is preaching and he says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What's Peter saying? Peter's saying the Gentiles and Herod and Pilate, they all did what they did. And they really did them. But behind that, was a plan from God. Acts 2 says the same thing. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What's the scripture saying? That we all did what we did, but behind all of that, that God allowed into Jesus' life, behind that frowning providence was something for our good and his great glory. So here's what I want to leave you with. What difference would it make in your life today if you believed in the providence of God? Where in your life right now do you need to believe God is absolutely aware. And God absolutely cares. And God is absolutely involved in this. Where is that spot in your heart right now that you feel like is so out of your control and you need to be reminded it is perfectly within God's control? I have no idea what the days to come hold but we have every idea of the one who holds those coming days. And we trust in the providential hand of God. Nothing just so happened. God's providence was behind it. Let's pray.